Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. You're listening to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Batman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, 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 what's cracking? And welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio brought to you by I'mTheFatMan.com. And I'm your host, Darren Fatman McDuffie. We had a little hiatus for a week or two. Um, I had some guests that are canceled uh, on me and I had to reschedule the show. So those shows will be coming up. Um, and tonight we have a special guest. We have holistic nutritionist Laura Knopf on the show and she's going to be talking about her book, the Whole Food Guide to Overcoming Irritable Bowel Syndrome. And before we get into that, as always, I'd like for you to connect with me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is thefat underscore man. You can connect with me there. Also, right now, I still have friends that I can connect with on Facebook. You can look me up on Facebook at um, Darren McDuffie, D-A-R-R-E-N-M-C-D-U-F-F-I-E. You can connect with me there as one of my friends and get the latest show updates. And also, you can connect with me on the Fat Man Radio Show. So if you go to Facebook and Facebook.com slash the Fat Man, Fat Man Radio Show, you can connect with me there and like my fan page. And I do urge you to do that so I can keep bringing you the latest and greatest on nutrition and health. So tonight we're getting into nutrition. We're talking about something that a lot of people suffer from, and that's uh, irritable bowel syndrome. A lot of people have gut issues. Uh, and different digestive issues, and I'm so glad that Laura Knopf, holistic, who's a holistic nutritionist, is on the show tonight. So I'm going to bring Laura on. Hello. Hey, hey Laura, how are you? I'm good. How's good, everybody out great. there? I hope everybody, everybody's good. Everybody's good. So I hope you are ready to drop some science on us about oh, sure. irritable bowel syndrome. So before we do, what I normally uh, ask is, How did you come about um, studying irritable bowel syndrome, and how did you get into nutrition? Well, I've been studying nutrition on my own since 1975 when uh, I was in college, and I I basically wanted to become uh, – I I didn't have any money (laughs) is what it was. And uh, I thought it would be a lot cheaper to be a vegetarian. A lot of people, my, my friends, were being vegetarian. So I looked into the nutrition of it and thought, well, that might work for me. And so I started uh, eating a vegetarian diet. I uh, still ate eggs and, and dairy and such. But uh, I st- wanted to read. I wanted to do it right. So I, I read as much as I possibly could. And over the years, I really enjoyed diving into nutrition. I'm, my background is in chemistry. And uh, the classes I was taking in biochemistry never really talked about vitamins or nutrients or anything like that. They talked about how the body makes energy, but it didn't include the fact that we need vitamins to do that. We need uh, B vitamins and minerals and a bunch of other stuff. So it was uh, kind of a disconnect between my schooling and what I was learning in the nutrition field. And um, then in the 80s and 90s, uh, my health wasn't doing so great. And in the 90s, I had a toxic exposure at work, and my digestion started to falter quite a bit. And I started looking into different things. And about the same time, I enrolled in a uh, holistic nutrition uh, program, a vocational program at uh, Bowman College. And 
turned my life around, turned my turned my head quite a bit. Um, found out that supplements are really, you know, they're helpful, but they're not an, not a replacement for foods. And that uh, the kind of diet I was eating was uh, actually harming me in that case because I wasn't able to digest what I was eating. I my digestion, as I said, stopped because of the toxics that I was exposed to in the in the labs. But uh, what really happened was uh, I had a, a variety of things going on. I had um, different kinds of bacteria that I shouldn't have had in my gut, and I had um, a lot of uh, a lot of diarrhea, even bloody diarrhea and wasting during that time. And the doctors were saying, "Well, you know, you're thin, but you're otherwise healthy." I actually lost 30 pounds in the process of of after that uh, toxic exposure and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me and they just said well you must have irritable bowel and we can give you these these drugs to stop the diarrhea but by that time I'd already discovered that uh, dietary changes made all the difference I completely turned around what I was eating and uh, it changed everything yeah so, so you kind of that's how I got it. I, so I actually I had had irritable bowel, and I probably could have been diagnosed with inflammatory bowel if I'd let them uh, do more investigative work. But uh, it's kind right. of invasive, and I was not in, into it. So, all right. So you actually experimented on yourself to get your condition under yeah, control. Yeah, within certain boundaries, within certain boundaries, because I at the same time I had been reading all about the uh, specific carbohydrate diet and uh, learning that perhaps for some people grains in and of themselves are not that helpful. I had already given up sugar. I realized that every time I ate anything with with refined carbs or sugar in it, my my belly just blew up like crazy. So that was that was a no-brainer. But it was it was paying attention. It's a, it's kind of like using the scientific method but on yourself because everybody's a little different just to to say that, you know, well, I tried this and it worked or I tried this and it didn't work and keeping track of that is really what it was about. And that that led me to, um, once I got my health back, and I I actually started teaching at Bowman College too. Um, So once I got my health back, I was able to um, sort of synthesize a lot of this information. And because I was teaching, I was able to learn how to to speak about this in a way that some more people could understand. Mm -hmm. So I, I specialize in digestion. I specialize also in in blood sugar and uh, cardiovascular health. Cool. Um, so let's get into just talking about IBS. And for those mm-hmm. people out there who know that they have these problems, they might be having bloating, they might be having gas, what exactly is IBS? IBS is a, what's called the diagnosis of exclusion. After they cannot find anything actually structurally wrong with the digestive tract, um, it's a situation where people have have bloating, pain, um, gas, and um, sometimes constipation, sometimes diarrhea. Sometimes they go back and forth between the two, either short-term or long-term. And the pain and the the bloating is usually relieved after they have a bowel movement. So the idea that, you know, you you have these symptoms at very – often in the evening, it seems like most people develop these symptoms as the day goes on, and then they find themselves uh, either having diarrhea or constipation and and having a lot of pain. And then after they've had a bowel movement, they usually feel considerably better. So that's the basic diagnosis, but it's after they've already said that you don't have inflammatory bowel disease or you don't have Crohn's or colitis or diverticula or hemorrhoids or anything else. 
Mm-hmm. And one of the things I know from my, my experience with being in the pharmaceutical industry is that what happens with a lot of those people, because I, I remember I used to call mm-hmm. on uh, GIs, was that they would go in and get colonoscopies. What's wrong mm-hmm. with a colonoscopy in, in uh, actually um, predicting or uh, uh, IBS? Well, a colonoscopy is looking at the bowel in a kind of a, a macroscopic way. It doesn't look at the microscopic situation. What's very interesting, and for some people, they actually have a remission of symptoms in after they've had the colonoscopy, primarily because they've done a rather vigorous purge in order to have the, the colonoscopy. So they may actually not have symptoms for a little while after that, and then sometimes the symptoms creep back uh, upon them usually because of the kind of bacteria that, that are in the gut and they, they replenish, and often also because of the kinds of foods they continue to eat. But uh, while, you know, while you're, if you're totally cleaned out, your body says, oh, that was a relief, and, <laughs> and that's about it. So um, the colonoscopy is only looking at, you know, to see if there's, there's actual inflammation, and a lot of IBS is, is, uh, is micro- microscopic changes in the, in the bowel and, and chemical changes in the cells that, and, and in the uh, nervous system of the bowel rather than um, actual vis- physical visual symptoms that they can see, oh, this area is inflamed or this area is bleeding or this area is really very uh, uh, restricted. Sometimes they can see strictures, you know, where areas of, are the, of the colon are narrowed or they can see uh, the diverticular pockets in the, in the intestine. But beyond that, they, they can't tell what's really going on with those tissues. Mm-hmm. What would be an adequate test to, to find out if we are, we are sufferers from IBS? Well, a lot of people who have IBS have uh, a bacterial overgrowth or, or parasites or some uh, what we call dysbiosis. Dysbiosis is an imbalanced gut uh, biology. It's it's um, the wrong kinds of bacteria or the a, a very bad um, ratios among the different kinds of bacteria. So an, an unhealthy ratios among some of the kinds of bacteria we're supposed to have. Sometimes people have candida. That's a very common thing. The other aspect can be uh, problems in the small intestine, the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So in other words, having the bacteria in your gut but in the wrong place, and that that because those bacteria are in the small intestine where there's a lot more uh, food available, they make a lot of gas and a lot of um, irritants that can cause more of the the purging and the the diarrhea or constipation. There's also situations where people have celiac disease, which is a primarily small intestine uh, situation, and they because they aren't able to because they end up with um, what's called villus atrophy. The villi mm-hmm. that are the finger-like projections that are in the small intestine, they become eroded and shortened and sometimes even completely atrophied. They're gone. And so the ability to absorb the nutrients from our food declines very dramatically. And when that happens, then that the food materials go on into the large intestine and create a lot of bacterial overgrowth there or even yeast overgrowth. So the yeasts and the bad bacteria, even parasites or even worms, can be a common source of IBS-type symptoms. But because many laboratories have a difficulty identifying parasites, parasites hide. They also deteriorate. As as, if somebody has constipation, they can deteriorate so that they can't be found. There are some labs now that do better. But um, 
because people have these these imbalances at the very least in their gut, and this is not uh, commonly discussed or measured in the, the general medical community, then it's not addressed. A lot of the reason people have some of these imbalances is the overuse of antimic- antimicrobial uh, antibiotics. So mm-hmm. when people take a lot of antibiotics, that kills their good bacteria and may also kill some bad ones, but it also kills the good ones in the gut. And then the, the yeasts overgrow, and that causes a lot of problems there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, if anybody's out there listening and you have a question for, I have some questions out of the Facebook fan page, the Facebook event page that I'll ask. But if you're out there, you're listening, and you have a question for Laura, call into the show at 646-716-9371. Again, 646-716-9371. Um, Laura, um, with, you mentioned celiac disease. What about mm-hmm. a person who's um, gluten sensitive? Can that be a, a prerequisite to um, getting IBS as well? Absolutely, yeah. What happens there is uh, a person may not be able to digest gluten very well. Uh, gluten is a, is a very uh, interesting molecule. It's a pretty tough cookie, it, uh, so to speak. It, uh, it is, is made of gliadin and glutannin, and it, it, it is very tightly bound type of, of protein. Um, when we get stressed out or if I, as we get older, sometimes our digestive ability declines and our ability to digest these proteins declines. What can also happen is a person can uh, have an immune reaction to these large proteins. Um, some of these proteins can get in the bloodstream if you have uh, intestinal hyperpermeability, also known as leaky gut. And these proteins can get, or peptides even, which are breakdown products of proteins, they can get into the bloodstream and they can affect the brain, they can affect the nervous system, they can affect any part of the body, joints, whatever, and that can, can create problems. But what's called non-celiac gluten sensitivity can be any of the body's kind of reactions that does not involve the actual um, autoimmune attack on the intestine, but still is a major problem. So anything you can't digest can be a problem. Anything you can't absorb can be a problem. And anything that interferes with the normal function of the of the body. What I think a lot of times people don't realize is everything you eat ends up either being part of you or it's excreted. So mm-hmm. eating healthy foods is a way to make sure all, all your parts work well, you know, whether it's digestion or brain or whatever. So, you know, those are the, the aspects of, of health that people forget. So they think, well, I'll just take this vitamin or I'll, I'll eat better tomorrow, and uh, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You mentioned there were a couple of, uh, in the book, I, uh, and you mentioned a little bit about this when you first came on, about um, the different types of IBS. You mentioned that you had, you know, diarrhea. Can you kind of right. discuss the different types of IBS that you've seen? Uh, yeah, there are there are basically four different kinds. The the IBS-D type or diarrhea type is, is when a person may have uh, f- four, five, set, six, ten, twenty bowel movements a day, um, and often they're very watery um, and loose. Um, and it can can be very debilitating because you never know when it will strike and you may have to stay close to home or close, know where all the bathrooms are where you are. So that's the IBS-D type. And there's often a lot of, of pain and bloating and gas also associated with that and with all the types, actually. The um, IBS constipation type or IBS-C 
is the opposite, where instead of uh, having the normal one to three bowel movements a day, people have uh, zero for days, uh, or they may have a very small and very hard stool that it takes quite a lot of straining to get rid of, to eliminate. So, you know, that's the IBS constipation type. And, and that's also uh, debilitating in some respects because it's often associated with things like headaches and, and uh, stiffness and body aches and stuff because the body is made to get rid of our, uh, elim- our waste products and not hold on to them for long periods of time. Um, so that, that can be a problem. Um, the, the other two types um, are called the IBS mixed, where people uh, have periods of time when they have diarrhea and other periods of time where they have uh, constipation. It may be weeks or even months of the different types, and they may cycle back and forth between the two. And then there's the IBX, I, IBS alternating type, where they have um, go back and forth between a couple days of diarrhea and a couple days of of constipation or maybe even one day of constipation followed by several days of diarrhea or several days of constipation followed by a day of diarrhea. So it's a much shorter exchange back and forth between the constipation and diarrhea. And all of these are indicating that, you know, there's something going on, there's something functionally not wrong, not right with, with, with what's going on in the bowel. Something is wrong. Mm-hmm. I um, did an interview um, a while back with Dr. Allison Seebecker where she came on and she talked about SIBO. And I remember most of the people that were calling in were women. And it just seems like women suffer from more from these conditions like SIBO and IBS. Why is that? Well, I think women may seek uh, the help of doctors more frequently in general. I think that when we do, sometimes we're given antibiotics, sometimes when we don't need them, especially women that have things like urinary tract infections, they may have several courses of antibiotics. Um, Antibiotics are also used commonly for um, an acne, Um, and although men certainly get, young men get acne as well, but I think more women will seek help from that. Uh, for that. Um, so the exposures to antibiotics may be higher. There may also be some some hormonal situations. I know, for uh, instance, that many women right before their periods have uh, changes in their gut biology to some extent. So I, I've known many, many women who have uh, constipation leading up to their periods, and then uh, as the period starts, they may have diarrhea. And this has to do with the, the amount and type of bacteria in the intestine. So these changes, these hormonal changes, will affect the uh, ecology of the intestine. And so, and I think women are, are just tied into their bodies a little more more acutely. They, they notice when things are going on and going wrong, and they're maybe also more willing to, to seek out help. Yeah, I think you're right. You have to drag men into the doctor. <laughs> We're only going if Kicking and screaming. Exactly. And only if something's actually, you know, obviously not right. <laughs> yeah, I um, pulled an article off the Internet about that, that women are more apt to go and visit the doctor than men. And men, it's like you got to drag us in there to, yeah. to see the doctor. Yeah. Um, let's talk about irritants to the gut. Um, specifically, I'm a big proponent of just trying to limit uh, grains as much as I can out of my diet. Mm-hmm. And... Um, can someone who has IBS eat grains? Have you seen when working with clients, can some of them eat grains and some of them you just strip grains out of their diet altogether? How does that work? 
Well, what I tend to do is, is tell to everybody to go off grains completely and see how that works for them. And if it if it works, great, fine. If they still they still have problems, we may look at other foods. We may do an allergy food allergy testing to see if there's something else going on. But it's so common for people to not digest grains well and them to become problems and irritants. Um, so if they do that and they say, well, I really miss you know having grains. I says, well, then we we try it's 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 a form of an elimination diet. Then we try to to let them try one food one grain at a time cooked very simply like just in water and uh, soaked ahead of time so it's the most digestible and let them try that one food one meal and then wait three days to see if there's any negative reactions and those kind of reactions can be anything from a headache or stuffy nose to uh, IBS symptoms coming right back so so that's the the possibilities you know among other things so I like to let people, you know, get clear and clean first on a very simplified diet. Sometimes it's the chicken vegetable soup diet. Sometimes it's the plain white fish and just a few different kinds of vegetables. And then slowly one day, one, one food every three days to try a food and see how it really works for them. And once they see that, oh, every time I eat corn or every time I eat uh, wheat, I've even had clients allergic to rice or sensitive to rice, so every time they do that, they see they can physically feel what that food is doing to them. And if they have no problems with the food, they can keep it in their diet, especially on a rotation basis. But a lot of folks say, I never would have believed that rice was a problem until I tried it by, myself, by itself like that. And wow, I felt awful the, the whole next day or something. So, so that's usually... Yeah. My, it, it, it's so individual that people um, react in different ways, and they're not always measurable. It's not always a, an, an allergy that creates antibodies. It's not always something that can be uh, measured in a, a, a doctor's office or a blood test. Yeah, I, um, physical experience. Yeah, I'm actually sensitive to rice, and I had to eliminate it from my diet. I was a big consumer of um, gluten-free. I would always eat oh, a gluten-free yeah. hot, hot dog bun, and a lot of that stuff is made with rice. And, also found out I was sensitive to black pepper and peppers in general, which I always use on my omelet and then yeah. black pepper to season a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And once I took those out of my diet, it was like the difference between night and day, and I never would have thought those things yeah. would, would be allergies yeah, that's, for me. That's why the simplest diet is, is something that just involves either like a plain white fish just baked or steamed mm-hmm. Uh, and and some kind of of simple vegetables. Usually, vegetables I suggest are the ones that you don't eat every day or every you know even more than twice a week. So if you're a person who has like uh, lettuce uh, with every meal or salad with every meal, then you would want to not have lettuce during that elimination diet period. Um, different people require different amounts of time on that elimination diet, the the, the simplified diet. But um, for the most part, most most people will start to feel better after about five seven days on the elimination diet if they're if they're being you know good with it they're not cheating or anything not getting you know pepper or whatever in it so and a lot of people are actually sensitive to black pepper uh, i think possibly because of you know the fact that there can be a lot of contaminants in it it's also an irritating you know herb spice whatever that uh, you know it's it sends a little little jolt through our nervous systems 
Yeah. You're um, talking about the elimination diet, obviously eliminating the foods. You explained that. Talk about the rotation mm-hmm. diet and the importance of actually um, how it helps with what we're talking about, about um, just yeah. helping someone over food allergies. So the biggest problem with, with any of these gut issues, whether it's uh, SIBO or anything else uh, or IBS, is that the the small intestine becomes what's called hyperpermeable or it has a leaky aspect to it. it instead of having the, the cells shoulder to shoulder and, and filtering the materials coming into the bloodstream, there's gaps between them. There may be damage to some of the cells. And what can happen is what's supposed to stay inside the, the lumen, inside the intestine, ends up filtering out into the bloodstream. And when anyone has any kind of, of inflammation or dysbiosis or any of kinds of things in the gut, what can happen is the materials that are in the intestine end up in the bloodstream and they alert the immune system and they can irritate the nervous system and they can do a lot of uh, damage to the whole body. They, they change the way the whole body's responding because now there's, there's foreign proteins in the bloodstream. So in order to prevent the immune system from becoming activated in that way, it takes about four days, usually on average, for a, a person to develop antibodies to uh, foreign proteins. If you've ever had a cold, you notice by like day four or five you start to feel better. It's usually because that's the amount of time it took for your immune system to create the antibodies that are specific to the cold virus. So if you're eating the same foods day after day after day, what can happen is your body sees those foreign proteins and it's, it starts to make antibodies against it or it starts to defend itself specifically against that kind of food. So by doing a rotation diet where you only have certain foods and certain food families on a, a one day every, every fifth day, in other words, so day one is one set of foods, day two is a different set, three and four are different sets, and then start over again on day five with the same foods you had on day one, that doesn't allow the body to remember and continue to, to uh, produce antibodies that are specific to that food. So it prevents you from gaining further allergies or further sensitivities to different kinds of foods. So it, it prevents you from, from having a narrower and narrower kind of diet. Yeah. So, um, you know, we just talked about grains and how they irritate. They can irritate the gut. What are some other foods that you've – I know you work with people and work with clients. What are some other foods that you've seen that kind of irritate um, the gut uh, lining? Well, soy – is one beans, nuts, and seeds. Anything that the the a plant the plant world wants to uh, use to grow and become another plant. The, the plants the the goal of the seeds, nuts, and grains and beans is to become another plant. So the, these plants kind of protect themselves with certain kinds of chemicals. Um, phytic acid is one. It holds on to minerals. The uh, enzyme inhibitors, uh, many of these kinds of foods have enzyme inhibitors. And, they, and most all of them have something else called lectins. And lectins are certain kinds of proteins that are, are protective of the plant, um, but they are very difficult to digest and may be actually irritating to the digestive tract. Um, some spices may also be in that category because they're they're the seed parts of plants. Um, so those seed parts uh, tend to be rather uh, self-protecting. 
Um, we can make them a little better if we soak or sprout or uh, ferment them, but uh, those those make it harder. In general, I would say that anybody can be sensitive to any food, but what I see mostly are those, like I said, the seed parts of plants. Um, I also see some sensitivities to uh, certainly to soy and corn because of the genetically modified aspect of those. And uh, um, dairy products are also a high on the list. Um, problem with dairy these days is so much of it is, well, not organic, but also um, so many, much of it may be uh, altered with the recombinant bovine growth hormone and um, any of the herbicides or pesticides that the cows are exposed to. Any of the antibiotics or, or hormones the cows are given are also uh, can be problematic in the, in the dairy products. So, you know, using grass-fed, organic, and um, high-quality, preferably raw dairy, maybe also a way to, to avoid that. But for a lot of people, it doesn't matter whether it's it's organic or raw or dairy or or um, um, grass-fed. They still have set up their bodies have set up a sensitivity to the dairy products. A third thing that that is pretty high on the list is yeasts. And I know because a lot of people have had yeast overgrowth in their intestine, their body sets up a, a defensiveness against all kinds of yeast, whether it's uh, nutritional yeast or brewer's yeast or, or baker's yeast in breads and stuff. That can also be a very common uh, allergen. Yeah. Um, irritants, let's go to what actually helps the gut. What, what can be ah. some things that will help the gut? Uh, solutions. Uh, be mm-hmm. very, very good to your gut. That's uh, soft and smooth foods are, are, are often recommended, at least at first, because um, the the soothing aspect. A lot of times, the mucous membrane of the intestine has been been uh, um, irritated enough so that the body is, is in an inflamed state. So, what I generally suggest first off would be uh, soups. Um, slow cooked stews, um, something with a good a good bone broth in it. Um, the the gelatin in bone broth uh, is a very uh, amino acid rich and soothing. Uh, I would call it a healing food actually. Um, so bone broths are exceptionally good. Homemade. Is, uh, I'm not talking about your canned uh, bouillon or anything like that, but mm-hmm. something you take some some chicken backs or some some knuckle bones or any kind of gelatinous, uh, uh, collagen-rich bones, and you simmer them for a good 24 hours, ideally at least 18 hours, so that really uh, breaks down a lot of the the collagens and a lot of the uh, materials in the bones. It also provides a lot of minerals. What I usually do is I add just a touch of seaweed to that, a little dulse, uh, granules or powdered dulse, um, or some uh, a little... Combo I don't use so much, but uh, you could use nori sheets or something else in there just to give it a little more mineral mineral richness and a little better taste, sometimes a slice of ginger if that's, not, if that's tolerated. And um, so that kind of stuff. And you make the broth and you, you can um, strain it and store quarts of it in your, in your freezer. It lasts a long time in the freezer. And um, then you can use that as a base for... Uh, soups and stews, you can even cook the vegetables in it and do all that kind of stuff. 
The other thing is raw vegetables can be very, very difficult for some people. Um, cooking the vegetables starts the digestive process and starts to break them down. One of the things I see that helps people the most is actually chewing their food. And yeah, a lot I was of people, a lot of people uh, either drink their foods, you know, they they blend them up and just gulp them down in smoothies or soups and stuff. Uh, instead of mixing the food with the saliva, a lot of our digestion, uh, especially of, of the vegetables and carbohydrates in, in general, starts in the mouth. The, the saliva has uh, digestive enzymes to start breaking down carbohydrates. Um, breaking down the food mechanically in the mouth can also uh, give the stomach an easier time, so our digestion in our stomach is is improved. And then once things are broken down there, uh, the hydrochloric acid and the enzymes, then it goes on to the beginning of the small intestine where the uh, bile from the gallbladder is added, so the fats are digested, and the um, the pancreas adds more digestive enzymes, so the proteins, fats, and carbohydrates finish digestion in the beginning part of that small intestine. And then the idea is that materials are, are easily absorbed through the next 20 feet or so of the small intestine. And once uh, that happens, then then everything works. So soothing that small intestine and soothing and lubricating the uh, the large intestine, making the food easy to digest and making it um, um, not uh, scraping or harsh against the intestine is the, the optimal thing. One of the foods I think are most problematic for people is when they eat a lot of dried crackers and chips, and especially mm-hmm. popcorn. Mm-hmm. I do not wow. recommend popcorn. Uh, what about um, the relationship between, you just mentioned helping the stomach out with uh, stomach acid. What, what is the relationship between low stomach acid and IBS, or is there, uh, does a relationship oh, yeah. exist? Well, anytime we don't fully digest our food, it still has to go through us, and uh, undigested food is not able to be absorbed. It can't be absorbed properly if it's if it's not broken down into the, the smallest uh, common denominators of amino acids and uh, fatty acids and uh, glucose or fructose. So the sugars, you know, that they all have to be broken down. So whatever doesn't get broken down can't be absorbed, and whatever doesn't get absorbed continues on through this uh, tube, gut tube we have, and there are plenty of bacteria there willing and able to digest it for us. But they're not digesting it for us, they're digesting it for themselves. And their waste products, the the gases and the many chemicals that are produced by these bacteria can become can be problematic. The kind of bacteria that we call good bacteria are the ones that when they digest some of our food uh, or the fiber that we have in our leftover in our intestine, they make products that we can use, that we like, that help us, like the B vitamins and vitamin K and um, those kinds of things. But when there's a, a bacteria that makes its byproducts, its waste products are things that harm or irritate us, we call those the bad bacteria. And those are the ones that can create the constipation or diarrhea or alternate both. Yeah, um, I'll get into a question real quick before I forget here and, we, and the show is over. But Joetta had a question for you, and she says, what detox juices do you recommend to clear out IBS or um, kind of alleviate IBS symptoms? Well, or even, even do you recommend any type of juices? 
I don't really recommend juice. Um, if I were to use a fluid, I would probably use uh, like a chicken broth, a, um, a really rich chicken broth or a lamb broth, something mm-hmm. that um, has those amino acids. It's warming, it's soothing, um, and, and something like that. Juices, first of all, they're usually raw, and that has a lot of enzymes, but unfortunately some of those enzymes can start to uh, can do further irritation on, a, on already irritated small intestine, large intestine. Um, water is actually a per- perfectly good fluid. Uh, it's a, it, it works pretty well. It's just not nutritive. Um, I don't, I'm not a big fan of, of juicing in general. Um, I'd rather people had um, either cooked, if they're eating raw foods, that you know they can blend them into uh, soups or smoothies or something. But uh, I'm not a big fan of juices because it's part of the, the, the situation there is you're losing the fiber. And with the fiber, you're losing quite a bit of nutrients, vitamins and minerals. So even though there's, there's, uh, there are some vitamins left in the, in the juice, mostly you're getting sugar and you're getting um, you know, water and you're getting some phytonutrients, but it's less than you would get if you ate the whole, the whole vegetable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, cleaning out, you know, when people say they have to, to clean out or detox, it's like the best detox is not eating toxins to start with, the best detox is to have a clean diet at least you know, 80% of the time, if not 90 to 95% of the time. And that will make a huge difference. Once you do that, the other thing, the other food I really highly recommend are dark green leafy vegetables. I think um, between the broth and the dark green leafy vegetables, and you certainly can combine them, um, dark green leafy vegetables have so many nutrients that are so beneficial for the entire body. They improve almost every aspect. They're mineral rich. They're, they're certainly low in calories. They have plenty of fiber. And um, the vitamins are, are there as well. They're very supportive for the liver detox. Um, there's uh, numerous ways, that numerous types and, and numerous ways to cook them. So um, I are, highly recommend these are, And these are things like kale, collard greens, things like that is what you're Kale and collard about. greens, but also uh, chard and spinach and beet greens mm-hmm. and and uh, dandelion greens and amaranth uh, greens and uh, let's see uh, arugula you can uh, basil um, parsley cilantro um, there's just numerous different kinds. Yeah, um, question. I had a quick question for you. This is something I'm very interested in because I had someone come to me. I by the way I like bone broth. I usually notice a big difference if I drink it in the morning with my digestion and if I don't drink it and I've been trying to do it in the morning. Um, What's good any what time about, day? Yeah, I love it in the morning because actually it's kind of killed my, my need or my little – I didn't have an addiction. I always wanted coffee sometimes, yeah, so it's kind of killed that. Yeah, that hot warm liquid to get you started. Yeah, yeah. yeah is so, an excellent one. Yeah. Um, someone came to me with this um, about – aloe vera, using aloe vera to heal the gut. And then looking in your book, I mentioned you mentioned that it's one thing that kind of has a lot of disaccharides or uh, amylose in it. Yeah. And wh- what's your experience with that, with the aloe well, vera heal the gut? So in, in my experience, a lot of people have the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Mm-hmm. And that that kind of situation, anytime there are fermentable um, starches or fermentable sugars, then they can feed the bacteria in the small intestine and cause a lot of, of the symptoms 
of irritable bowel. So we now know that that um, that the carbohydrate intolerance so many people are feeling is related to this small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and that may be the key to the IBS. Um, and Dr. Seibecker's work is is phenomenal uh, for that. Instructions. So my basic uh, premise is to avoid anything that's kind of starchy or has a lot of um, some of those kinds of of carbohydrates, the, the fermentable fibers or the ferment soluble fiber and such that can activate those kinds of bacteria. Um, there are some specific bacteria called Klebsiella that are uh, often harmful because they do love to eat the soluble fiber. They, they, they flourish on it, and they're one of those, those harmful bacteria that can create some toxins to us. So um, basically what I suggest is for some people, aloe vera works fine if they don't have the uh, small intestinal bacterial over, overgrowth, the SIBO. Yeah, and there's a test they would have to take to just find out if they do have SIBO. There's, I got like three more questions here. I'm going to hit sure. you real speedy because um, we got about five more minutes, maybe a okay. little bit more, if I can keep you a little bit longer. Um, there was one thing that was very interesting to me in the book, the relationship you had between fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, and how they relate to IBS. And I was just mm. thinking that this is maybe these conditions are just because of a bad a bad functioning gut is that uh, fair I to think say? so so any of those toxins created uh, in the bowel can uh, disperse throughout the body and can irritate other tissues create inflammation in other tissues um, the gut can overload the liver's ability to detoxify and you know so a bad gut can overload the liver and that can create problems with uh, ligaments and tendons and cause pain um, there's also absorption problems, so if people don't absorb well, they can't support their tissues as well. One of the po- most common problems is, is poor digestion leading to mineral deficiencies, and that increases pain and um, the fibromyalgia and problems with sleep and all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the next question is about, uh, actually, sh- uh, let's talk about fungus, because I didn't know that I think it was wheat or you said grain contains some type of fungus on it that can actually yeah. harm us. The, the way that, that um, our grains in general are um, collected, stored, and uh, usually stored for long periods of time, um, they can accumulate certain kinds of, of, back, of fungus in, in the uh, bins that they're stored in, in the uh, in the bags and such, long storage can cause problems. If they get a little damp, there's a perfect environment there for fungus to grow. And those fungi can actually produce some toxins that are really irritating for the intestine. So that could be yet another reason why some people are becoming more and more sensitive to, to grains in general, or but even beans and nuts and seeds. Um, peanuts, for instance, are a uh, uh, nut that's actually a legume. It's grown underground. And it's very susceptible to uh, the aflatoxin, to a kind mm-hmm. of fungus that creates aflatoxin. And that is one of the most deadly toxins there is. And it doesn't take very much for the body to say, whoa, that's not a good idea, and try to defend you against it. Yeah, I know. Um, I 
said something on a, a podcast about not eating peanut butter, and people are like, well, why don't you eat peanut butter? I'm like, aflatoxin. <laughs> Look it up. Yeah. I would yeah. say if, if you're going to do that, make sure you're, you, you can inspect the peanuts before they're ground, and then uh, you can you know, see. But even then, you know, it's, not a, it's a pretty colorless and, and odorless, but there may be other fungus that is associated with those nuts so you may be able to detect and then say, well, you know, these are not good nuts, so I'm not going to make peanut butter out of them. The easiest way is just to, you know, if you want, want peanuts, eat the peanuts. Yeah, yeah, just eat the peanuts. Um, Charm had a question for you, and she says that um, to ask you about, and she said this actually kind of saved her life, emotional ther- emotional release therapy and um, mm. IBS. Have you mm-hmm. had any experience with that? Well, our our emotions do affect our digestive system. Um, the emotions of fear, the emotions of anger, resentment, all of those can have an effect on how well we digest, how well we repair our intestines on a regular basis. Because the entire intestinal system has to do uh, maintenance and repair every, every day, every night. You know, um, Our emotions will affect how well we sleep when a lot of those uh, repair processes are going on. So you know, our emotional health is closely tied with um, our gut health and and our overall health, and for that matter. So one of the things I do recommend is that uh, people have good communication with people around them. They have, try to have good relationship, but also um, that they do relaxation techniques. I call it skilled relaxation. And the idea is that if you can remember what it's like to feel relaxed and safe and happy at least 20 minutes twice every day, then your body will default to that most of the time, and in, you'll be better able to handle uh, the challenges that occur to you. So little uh, irritation, little, things that would, would, would be like major irritations in the past become just little irritations and not even worthy of uh, much attention. Yeah. Yeah, I got two quick questions if you can ask them real quick. Sure. One one is uh, let's talk about constipation in the toilet and how how the toilet actually lends itself to making people uh, constipated. <laughs> it's all about squatting. Um, yeah. Our bodies, you know, we were made to, uh, as all little children and animals do, uh, is to squat in order to defecate. And the squatting position actually changes the the angle of the anus and the the ease with which our bodies are able to eliminate quickly and easily. Uh, so what I do suggest is people elevate their knees when they're on the toilet and to sort of mimic a, a squatting position. You can do that with a, a little stool in front of you or they have the, the squatty potty or the, uh, the, mm-hmm. the lily pad and these various step stools that you can put your feet up so that you, know, you, you have more support. The thighs start to support the, uh, the lower part of the abdomen and, and ease, make it much more easy to have a bowel movement. That can be one of them. It also strengthens a lot of the muscles that are involved in elimination. So squatting to go to the toilet and even just, you know, when you're, you're waiting for something or you're looking for something, you can squat down and strengthen those muscles and, and get some better control. Yeah. Last one, last question is sugar. It's something that... Everybody's addicted to. I yeah. I know I'm still addicted to it, and it's crystal and white powder, re- man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like cocaine. <laughs> yeah, it's but, actually more um, addictive than cocaine. And that's a big and source of our digestive problems, right? 
It is. If people, if I could wave a magic wand, there's two items I would get rid of the, the American diet. One is refined sugar. I'm, I'm not saying people shouldn't have things sweet. I mean, fruit is plenty sweet. But the other is that the uh, artif- the I should say, vegetable oils, the processed vegetable oils, whether they're hydrogenated or not. Those two things, if I could just wave a magic wand and get rid of those things, I think our overall health would be much improved. The thing about sugar, it, it, it's been shown that uh, rats that were addicted to cocaine actually when offered sugar would choose the sugar uh, oh, over God. the cocaine. So they, they were like, you know, they were showing us the way. Um, in another case, uh, other situation, because it does not contain any nutrients, only calories, it's it's become a real problem or our pancreas reacts poorly to it. Our brain reacts poorly to it. It's just not a food. I I think you know when I see people you know with cakes and cookies and things, I think of them as art. I don't think of them as food, and that has changed a lot. You know, if you don't think of it as something that you would consume, like mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't consume a a vase, but <laughs> but it's the same kind of thing. Sometimes it's very beautiful. It's a lot of artist artistic work to do, but it's just not food for me. Yeah. Um, you have a lot of, we'll wind down now here, but you have a lot of recipes in your book. What's your favorite recipe in the book? Oh, gosh. I think the um, the roasted turkey thigh with vegetables. But I, I do it, it's kind of a braising. I do it as a, a slow cooked, you can you can do it in a slow cooker, crock pot or whatever, and you can just put any kind of meat in there and and some, some vegetables of your choice. I usually have some like carrots and onions or or. Um, you know, uh, fennel. I'm doing one right now, actually, with some fennel and shallots, and and some lamb. So it's just you know, mm-hmm. it's a slow cooked recipe that you can you can have start it in the early part of the day in the morning, and just you know go to work and come back, and your your house smells like grandma's been cooking all day. It's it's my favorite. Yeah, I have to come to your house. I love lamb. That's my favorite <laughs> of all time. I can eat lamb okay. all day, every day. Um, yeah. Thank you for coming on, Laura. I, you have some great recipes on here. I actually, I really enjoyed the book, and I know I just was thumbing through it again and just saw that you have a, a bone broth recipe in here. I would recommend yes, I anyone do. to um, go in here and make some bone broth. I do it mostly on the weekend, and yeah. it's very, very simple to make, and it tastes really good, and it makes you feel warm and cuddly inside. So. It sure does, and you can do it yeah. in a crock pot. I know people sometimes get nervous about leaving it on their stove, but I don't. You know, I have a gas stove, and I just keep it going up, you know, at a low uh, simmer for a day or two, and it's just mm-hmm. great. Yeah. So thank yeah, you. Anyway, thank you for coming on. I really enjoyed the book. If you get a chance, go to Amazon, pick the book up, The Whole Food Guide to Overcoming Irritable Bowel Syndrome. It's a lot of stuff in the book that you probably don't know about the condition if you do have it. And then there's some great recipes. I know people are always looking for recipes of what can I eat, what can I eat. So you can yeah. go on and you can see actually what you can eat. So, Laura Knopf, thank you for being on the Perfectly Healthy and Tone radio show. I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you, Darren. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. So that was a good show. I really enjoyed that show. Next week, we'll have Sean Stevenson on. Sean um, has an amazing story. He was actually diagnosed with a debilitating spine um, disease and brought himself back from that by just eating real food and paying attention to his diet. So I'm going to ask him to share that amazing story with you. And then also he's going to be sharing his book. He just came out with a book about sleep, about the importance of sleep and how to get better sleep. And I know 
a lot of people can use that. I know a lot of adults that don't get enough sleep at night. So we'll have Sean Stevenson on the show to talk about that um, next week. So tune in next week, same fat time, same fat channel, and I will see you and have a good night. Peace out.